Okay, Nigel. Um, we're both archaeologists, that as we correct. have established in this podcast that is about archaeology. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> like, flash. right, when you're in your, like, intro to archaeology class or, you know, whatever, and you're, um, we get to learn about archaeology in, like, other parts of the world, too, yeah. right? Not just, like, in, um, in the States. You know, we learn about different ancient, you know, cultural time periods. Yes. Like the Stone Age mm-hmm. or the Iron Age or the Bronze Age, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because archaeologists, we love put people in little boxes and define them by like... Compartmentalize? Yeah, by the, the, like the stuff and the technology and the things that they um, make. So... If you were going to do that for um, our society today, what would be the age that we're living in now, do you think? Hmm. Age of Aquarius? It's the age of Aquarius. (laughs) Hmm. I do have an answer for that. Our recording studio here in Gainesville um, is filled with that item that I would say is representative of the age that we're living in the plastic age yeah the age of the everlasting material culture plastic plastic age yeah i agree <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of crazy um you know when we were doing our halloween episode and you pointed out all the creepy stuff in the the space that we record in uh, you know i i put it up so i knew it was there but when you start looking at it like from another way you realize that there's a lot of it and it's the same with the plastic we're sitting here talking about plastic and i have a plastic tub there uh, multiple plastic tubs um multiple like single use containers there's a plastic glue container Your computer is computer. made out of significant <laughs> amount of plastic Our microphones yep have plastic. my bike helmet my field bags our those clothes are, our clothes I'm, have plastic yep 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 that yep. is like literally the material that we're wearing. Yeah, probably this rug. Absolutely, this rug. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's all around us. And when you really start to open your eyes to the amount of it that we're surrounded with in our daily lives and the amount of it that we um, consume, whether figuratively yeah. or actually um, on, on a day, daily basis um it's you know it's really shocking (laughs) it's pretty staggering (laughs) it's pretty staggering staggering. so for chapter two of preservation Mm -hmm. um on the materialist podcast we are talking plastic and it's never ending never disappearing presence in our world and that's crazy Right. So instead of looking to the past and what has been preserved, um, you know, the little tidbits we get preserved from past people on our episode today, we're going to look to the future and what um, what will be preserved um, from our leavings from our leavings today (laughs) um, and all the mountains of plastic and horrible things that will never decay that we're going to leave behind for future generations. Stay tuned, listeners. We're going to get into it.
Welcome back to the Materialist Podcast. We're back, baby. We're back. A little bit of a hiatus after the Thanksgiving holidays. Oh, it's this past month has been yeah. Bananas. It's been crazy. It's been particularly bananas for you. You've had a bananas, bananas, B A N A N A S. G R A V E S. Grapes. I'm Nigel Rudolph. I'm the public archaeology coordinator at the Central Region of F Pan. And I'm Becky O'Sullivan. I'm the public archaeology coordinator at the F Pan West Central Regional Center, which is headquartered in beautiful Tampa at USF. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, lovely day. Have the windows open in the it studio. It's nice. Sun's a little warm, but it's it's lovely. It's a lovely day. Do you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, I had a really good Thanksgiving. Good. I didn't have to go anywhere for Thanksgiving. Yeah. We made good like food. Like it was excellent. Yeah, yeah. I know you posted that picture of your spread. And it was yeah excellent. We had like smoked mullet. What? Yeah. Florida, a fly. It was. It was yeah. a very Florida. Yeah, centric. Yeah, I went down to your neck of the woods, um, B-Town, and had some Thanksgiving there. Mm-hmm. Actually in Tampa, but it was good. It was good. Saw lots of family. Yeah. So our last episode oh. was my favorite Halloween episode. Yeah, that was it fun. It was super good. Um, so if you haven't caught that, listeners, go back and listen to that. Hol- Hear the joy in our voices yeah. as we get to talk about Halloween-related Halloween, things. material culture, that was episode nine. And so now we are on episode 10, chapter two of preservation, talking about um, the, what's the big fancy $10 word? Anthropocene. Wait, Anthropocene. Anthropocene, right. And that is basically the... Um, geological epic that we are, the proposed geological epic that we're in now um, that says that human beings have permanently altered the globe. Nigel, is it like going to rain outside? What was that? Did you hear that noise? (laughs) (laughs) Say that, wait, say say the word again. Anthropocene. What What was that? (laughs) Anthropocene. Oh, there it was again. That that's horrible acting. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> that that's an ominous word, dude. I don't know if we want to touch that subject. No, not with a ten foot pole. Um, but we we'll will poke at it. Yeah, we'll poke at it. Okay, and so we have we have a really fantastic episode ahead, um, and we have a special guest, Yay. a wonderful special guest, Becca Burton, joining us, who is a science journalist. She's going to be speaking um, in a little bit, and I will do a formal introduction um, in a spell. But chapter two of preservation here. Yeah, so on um, part one for this topic, as you may remember, we talked about preservation in the past and how preservation affects the work that archaeologists can do, right? Because we can only study what we're able to find. So uh, we were very lucky to get to talk to um, our friend, Dr. Jessie Halligan, about her amazing research looking into the first peoples here in what is now Florida, but, you know, just the uh, first peoples in general um, and the, the things they left behind and how preservation affects the 
the the work that she does. Yeah. So that's where that's where we left off with the story. Right. And we asked um, Dr. Halligan, big thanks again, Dr. Halligan, for being on the Materialist podcast. We asked Dr. Halligan, what would be left in the next 5,000 years? Uh, tons of plastic, um, <laughs> maybe some of the metal car hoods and things like that, all the glass, um, a lot of the stone and brick foundations that we have, but probably not very many of our bones. Like I say, plastic, lots and lots and lots and lots of plastic. <laughs> so she said plastic. Yeah, I agree. She said plastic. And so we says... We says... We, Becky and I says, we <laughs> should do a second addition to this preservation, a second chapter, if you will, yeah. to this book of Florida preservation on what will last forever yeah. for eternity. For eternity. Nigel, have you ever read that book? motel of the mysteries like the kids book or seen it no but you've mentioned it before yeah i mean it's um it kind of makes me think about um this episode a little bit and it's it's a really great i mean it's really interesting um children's book like a picture book but it's all about archaeologists in the future and they find this mysterious archaeological site which is actually turns out to be um as we know because you know you could tell today it's like kind of a gross motel and so right. the archaeologists <laughs> like they're trying to interpret all the the things that are left behind and they think yeah. that like a plastic toilet seat is like a headdress for a princess and, like all these different <laughs> sorts of things but you know it's kind of ridiculous but um i love the visuals in that book because it shows um just all the ways that we have altered the landscape, all the things that we create that will just never decay or go away. And yeah. it does give you a kind of an, um, a view of, of what that, uh, that future might look like for archaeologists in the far, far future. Right. Because like prehistoric preservation, um, like pre-Columbian preservation, it sometimes it boils down to the lack of evidence. Right. Right. And, uh, and that's what makes it difficult for archaeologists to, to really understand in great detail what happened way back when, because there's there is so little evidence because preservation is is tough. But we don't have that problem nowadays right? right? because yeah. we have an abundance of this material culture that will last forever. What we're going to be discussing in a little bit is that that it doesn't always look the way it did initially it changes form and that's the thing with plastic is it mm -hmm. breaks down and never goes away it's durable what does durable mean it resists wear decay lasting it's enduring and this is this there's plenty of durable objects prehistorically in florida but when we're talking about the future of archaeology and what will future uh, material culture researchers be looking at they're going to be looking at the most durable object known to man i guess right plastic right and every plastic object that was ever made is still in existence in some form yeah. and every plastic object <laughs> that we continue to make will continue to be in existence for the foreseeable future that's crazy yeah that's crazy <laughs> that's crazy when you put it like that that's crazy yeah. that's that every is so plastic insane. object that was ever created is still plastic and still right. in existence and every plastic object that we continue to make will 
do the exact same thing. <laughs> so that kind of brings us right into the heart of what we're going to be talking about, the Anthropocene. Oh, my God. That there, sound there freaks a, me out every time. What was that? <laughs> so just to reiterate, the Anthropocene is the, the current proposed geological age viewed as the period during which human activity has been the dominant influence on climate and the environment. Humans have permanently altered the geology of the Earth. Some geologists argue that the Anthropocene began during the Industrial Revolution. Right, yeah. So just like you said, the Anthropocene... Anthropocene is this um, this idea that yes, human beings have permanently altered the geologic like strata of the Earth right. in multiple different ways, and you can say that um, we've altered the Earth in terms of like the climate. Yeah, we've altered the earth with you know radiation with like uh, with atomic yeah. testing that has left you know evidence of radiation that is not natural like across the entire globe we've altered the earth in terms of the materials that we create yeah. and so there's i mean we'll talk about it more but um the plastics that we've created you know we drill to get the you know oil and you know things from these layers in the earth that actually you know date back to another geologic time period when there were you know lots of carboniferous you know like plants and all these things mm -hmm. and the deposits of those have become things like coal and oil that we use to power our houses and cars and cities and also create plastics and so we take that oil from these ancient times use it to create plastics that we use today and now those plastics are being redistributed in another yeah. layer higher up um in the earth and they'll never go away and they'll never go away i mean it's, it's crazy um, i'm gonna jump to this list really quick that i compiled of just some examples of how long things last um cigarette butts last 10 to 12 years this is decomposition time monofilament fishing line this kind of blew my freaking mind 600 years mm -hmm. rubber boot soles 50 to 80 years foam plastic cups styrofoam cups 50 years um styrofoam never goes away styrofoam right. does not biodegrade <laughs> Ever. nylon fabric which is i think what i'm wearing um, <laughs> 30 to 40 years nigel's wearing a nylon bodysuit right <laughs> yeah. now <laughs> yeah it's really crazy <laughs> becky uh, becky interrupted me in the middle of my my other job i i, I do online jazzercise videos yeah it's and, really um, lucrative yeah it's good i mean that's side gigs you know yeah. I'm, I'm not a millennial but i also yeah. have side gigs side hustle side, side hustle, hustle. yeah okay. yep Batteries, even batteries last only a hundred years. S uh, well, uh, <laughs> pause it. Sanitary pads. <laughs> it's okay, Nigel. You can say it. I'm sweating. Nigel's got the vapors. He's got the vapors over there. Girls have periods. I understand do, this is something do. that does happen. Um, <laughs> sanitary pads last that one really snuck five, up on you <laughs> it's five to eight hundred five hundred to eight hundred years oh. tinfoil also does not biodegrade right but the thing is too that yes you know some of these things will like degrade over 600 years or whatever but what are they degrading right. into i mean exactly. they're not turning into like compost they're turning into like volatile like 
chemicals and things that we also don't want yes. like in our soil and in our water supply right as well. yeah that's in our water and in our food i learned yeah exactly i learned um a good vocab science vocab word what was that? um thanks jeff you told me this one um it's um a nurdle and oh yeah did he tell you that one too so a nurdle oh yeah caitlin was saying a nurdle could either be a dollop of toothpaste which is right. not too bad or in its more popular usage a nurdle is like a degraded fragment of plastic that you find um in the oceans in the wherever yeah it's everywhere <laughs> to kind of bring this into perspective and why we're talking about this in regards to archaeology um is that how in florida anyway for something to be considered historic it needs to be 50 years old or older right right and so we are now at a position where things like mobile homes tupperware clorox bottles and all the things in between could now be up for grabs as far as archaeological research you know as far right. as looking at in respect to cultural studies what can these these bits of plastic tell us about um the anthropocene right and yeah now we have to do we need to curate these things yeah we find them on archaeological sites? right mobile homes right <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you know early like plastic objects and i've read a couple articles about it but it's they're really difficult to conserve i mean yeah. you know because yes plastics last forever but they're also very volatile in a way and they break down mm -hmm. into you know so and they'll degrade in ways that they're not useful as like an object of study anymore but they still exist as you know this this plastic right that, you know, yeah degrades over time so they're gross for the environment they're annoying for archaeologists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very problematic. So I kind of compiled, and I think it's important to kind of go through this, but really quickly, um, I don't want to waste too much time on like the history of plastic and where it came from because we're really concerned about the present and in in the future. But plastic was a product of the Industrial Revolution. Things changed dramatically. Coal production increased in digging up coal. And so that kind of obviously, as Becky was just saying about the kind of what plastic is a fossil fuel. It's made from fossil fuels. I so more, more things were being made. More things were being made to be designed to be thrown away. More trash was being produced. Therefore, more stuff for archaeologists to look up. Now, plastic was invented in the turn of the 20th century, but really after World War II is when things kind of went insane, right? And so, but it is it was originally kind of manufactured not only for military purposes but also for things like tupperware which were designed to to last to mm -hmm. not be thrown away were designed to last a very long time multiple use objects and it wasn't really until the 1980s where we start to see this development of single use plastics that they chemically changed what they had originally made the plastics uh, out of to to make it much thinner um, and more disposable. Um, so cheap plastics got to be developed. And so this crazy staggering statistic that I learned um, is that Americans use approximately 2 million plastic bags per minute. Yeah. And those are not recyclable no. in any <laughs> in any way you know so you know I, I know you take your bags to uh put in the bins next to Publix. they're not being recycled <laughs> yeah they're not <laughs> i don't know what's happening to them they're being know. shipped away they're being burned no now other countries won't take our right, like they're dirty our recyclables yeah it's crazy 
Have you ever been um, working on an archaeological project and come across some more modern garbage oh, yes. deposits? I know that either you have a gross example. I do. One. <laughs> yeah, I do. So, so what I, has been your brush with the um, with the more uh, modern Anthropocene? So we were doing a dig. Um, and those of you listening that are familiar with this river will probably start laughing when I say that I was actually doing archaeology in it because it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a super fun site. But it, it, um, what the is the name of that town? Worst town in the Perry? state. Perry? Perry, yeah. We were doing... You like how, like, when you said that, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, yeah, I know what town you're talking about. We were doing, uh, we were doing um, a dig on uh, the outskirts of Perry, um, so basically between Perry and Tallahassee, um, along the Fen Holloway River. Um, and we were digging along, and uh, we probably weren't even that deep, probably maybe 20 centimeters down or so, and we started encountering um, medical vials, like medicine vials, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we found syringes and we found old plastic medical bags, um, like, you know, like IV bags, Uh. um, digging down even deeper. I think we got down to about 40 centimeters, um, 50 centimeters, and we were still encountering this. And so then we decided, well, let's contact. uh, (laughs) um, It seems like an OSHA violation. (laughs) Let's contact the boss and say, uh, you know, what are we what are we doing? And they informed us that, oh, we forgot to mention to you but that that area had been used as a medical waste dump before you were out there (laughs) and so we were there was literally like syringes with needles we were excavating that (laughs) and it was on top of of course a prehistoric site which in that area we never got to so i don't know you just like backhoe (laughs) like strip off all that grossness so that was my probably one of my most intimate connections with archaeological archaeological connections with the anthropocene yeah okay so um let me ask you the same becky what what is your kind of uh what, what my brush with grossness your brush with modern anth- more modern <laughs> yeah. material culture yeah um okay so a few years ago we did a bunch of archaeology in ybor city which is oh. a really cool historic neighborhood that's part of tampa now and it's um a a lot of really interesting history, a really diverse immigrant community, people that came to Florida to work in the cigar industry. Right. Um, and so it's a national, you know, landmark district <laughs> in the National Register. So um, we got permission from some property owners to go and um, excavate on some different properties. So one of the ones where, um, you know, we're doing some shovel testing in the backyard, we start to come down on some like gross styrofoam you know like the styrofoam things that like like you get like oh, chicken yeah. and it's yes. like on, yeah like one those and <laughs> number like six plastic, plastic bags yep. and that sort of a thing oh. we dig a little farther because we're like okay well this is gross but maybe there's some you know it was in yeah. the top you know like 10 to 20 or whatever um and so we dig a bit more and we start uncovering <laughs> all these um plastic bottles that were these like <laughs> kind of weird shape and so we're looking at them we're like what are these they're not like a normal plastic bottle and oh, Lord, we I've looked heard this story. a little <laughs> bit closer and it was dozens and dozens of plastic douche bottles oh, my probably Lord. from like the 1970s or 80s and so we totally came down on a, a <laughs> 
plastic douche midden. (laughs) And that was the truly most disgusting thing I've ever encountered. Um, and are those Doing now in in bags in no, a lab somewhere? No, we did not. We did not collect them. Um, we right. left them. We let them be. Artifacts noted, but not collected. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's crazy. So, future archaeologists, I'm really sorry because there's going to be a whole bunch of gross ass <laughs> that you're going to find. <laughs> so, <laughs> speaking of gross ass. <laughs> Um, today we had the chance to go out and actually conduct a little bit of field research for the podcast um, out in the wilds of Gainesville. We investigated three different sites looking for little bits of the Anthropocene. First location was around my yard. The second location was a creek down the street in a quote-unquote natural space um, along some trails. The third location was the Plaza of the Americas at the University of Florida campus. And so we collected our artifacts and photo documented them, and they'll all be on the Instagram for y'all to see. Um, But it was really interesting. We found some cool stuff, and we will be playing those clips next. All right, well, here we are in the front yard doing a little field recording. looking for evidence of the Anthropocene (laughs) in uh, the yard of my house. Yeah, so stop number one, Nigel's yard. So we're going to sort of walk some transects here and uh, see what we... We're going to do some some archaeology. Yeah, we're doing some real... We're going to do some real archaeology right now. Homie feel archaeology. Yeah, we'll see what we find. Ooh, what's that? We got something here. Oh, it is a plastic um, clothespin. Plastic clothespin. Let me take a picture. Let me record that. Well, that looks a little bit more authentic. Yeah. Watch for bombs, Mama. No. Ow. Oh, man. Get. Spivey, don't. That's the. No. (laughs) Artifact. Spivey was trying to, like, eat the photo scale. Becky's going deep into the jungle of the yard. Becky's a true archaeologist. She decides not to wear shoes in the field. I'm wearing shoes. Oh. I mean, not like close-toed shoes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just go some flip, flippy flops, you know. I'm a professional, you know. Like. <laughs> so, <laughs> astoundingly, we just found a um, an actual an artifact. actual artifact in the yard. Not that plastic isn't an actual um, artifact, but a lithic flake. I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, Becky say. picked it up. We'll document it. Um, <laughs> no idea where that would have come from. Oh, there's some like glitter. Oh, we got some glitter, some glitter material, mylar. Yeah, some... That lasts forever. Say hi to the podcast, Kate. Hello. How's it going? And Becky just found an actual lithic flake in my yard, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. <laughs> I'm pretty proud of that. I have to say. Surgeon tobacco of lung can even in nor. Whoa, so we have an actual artifact here with uh, text on it. A looks like a relic cigarette wrapper, plastic. <laughs> we got quite a little assemblage going. Do you want that yeah. part of scrubber? Well, that's, oh. a, that's a tennis ball that I ran over with the lawnmower. <laughs> What else did you run over with the mower? <laughs> I, just, I, don't, I don't. I run over everything, alive or dead. <laughs> oh, jeez. We, we hit the mother load. 
Yeah, what do you... I like with the chalk. Yeah, let's go with the chalk in the background. I think that looks... All right, so we have our little bit of an assemblage here. We'll document that for the Instagram. That's my daughter. <laughs> we see we can see some um, activities that were going on in this backyard. We've yep. got several broken um, clothes clothes pins right. so for laundry, some backyard laundry, yep, yep. chalk. Yep. Good backyard activity. We have what looks like appears to be a flip flop. Yeah, that's sole. from a flip flop. This is totally from like IKEA furniture, like. <laughs> One of those, like, whatever they're called, cam or whatever, that's like, you know, from putting yep. Ikea furniture together. This looks like the zipper on a Publix bag of grapes. Oh, oh yeah, it does. Could be, could be. Uh, maybe the top of, like, a bleach container or something. Perhaps. Oops, we just lost our colorful mylar. That's okay, I took a picture of it already, so. It's All right. And, and a, a flake. And a, an actual prehistoric <laughs> an artifact. Actual art, like, real <laughs> old artifact. All right, our next adventure will be in the trail along Hogtown Creek. All right, so here we are at our second stop, um, experiencing the Anthropocene. And the beauty of nature. We're with Becky O'Sullivan, Kate Johnson, at Ring Park along the Hogtown Creek. Um, which it is very pretty. It's beautiful. It's beautiful here. Um, don't touch the water. <laughs> it's probably going to take a year off my life. We're going to okay. work our way down. We have some uh, some friendlies coming our way here. Hi, guys. And so we're going to again try to document bits of man in bits of man, bits of man <laughs> along the trail. Found a fuzzy baba sticker. We got a fuzzy baba sticker. Aww. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Melon Excellent. Good eye, Kate. Flavor. Kate's been 100 out here. Oh, right. this is a good area to investigate. Right. This is like a nice activity area. Yeah, we're here in this, uh, we got some picnic tables. We have some restrooms. We have a playground as, as such. There's a dog leash with a poop bag, but no dog. Do you think we'll find the dog? Oh my God, I hope so. Maybe it's a cute puppy. Ooh, what's that? I found a very small makeup applicator so much. <laughs> Excellent bag to put these things in so we don't have to Hey, there's a bag. <laughs> Say that again? Purple plastic. We got some purple plastic. That's good. We're telling we got a color story going on. We found a uh, we found a bag that we're putting in. Up oh, here's some more. We have a candy wrapper oh, yeah. here. Ew. Is that a Jolly, so Jolly Rancher? It's kind of good at hiding It's moist, a moist candy wrapper. Some other Ooh, that's a Swisher Sweet. Oh, I know okay, that one. Okay. Uh, probably from some kind of narcotics. My old Hopefully we all have our uh, hepatitis drop. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to refrain from picking up things that I know are in people's mouths. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to mosey down the trail and go closer to the actual creek and see what we can find along the banks of the creek. Maybe see some stratigraphy. Yeah, for our assemblage. Let's go back this way. What's that? Looks like bone. It's heavy. Oh, it's Fossil? like lead. I don't know, it's dense. Brick. Maybe oh, a put, bite it. Bite it. Maybe it's something. gold. I don't know. Put it in the bag. It's not food, so <laughs> You know what really makes me feel good is that kind of endless dog shit smell. There is a very lingering odor of dog shit. 
All right, so now we're kind of approaching this um, little sandy area. Breaking the law. Breaking the law, going off-road here. Um, it's okay, we're archaeologists. Yep. Walking down to the creek. Beautiful Hogtown Creek. Oh, that's probably gross. I wouldn't touch that. I don't want to touch that. We have a mysterious red bag buried yeah, in the actual it. dirt, which seems a little disconcerting. It's just biohazard. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing I'm wearing flip-flops. I'm definitely not picking it up, but I have found a sock. Oh, a sock. So anybody listening, if you're missing a sock, a gray sock with a red toe and heel, it is uh, in the roots of a pine tree at Ring Park in Gainesville. Just FYI, listeners. Oh, I'm slipping on probably straight raw fecal matter here. Oh, fuck. Oh my god, Nigel. Are you okay? <laughs> that was good for the, for the, you know, audio. <laughs> Dear listeners, Nigel just ate <laughs> at Hog Country. <laughs> Literally covered in toxic mud. God damn it. Remind me not to put my hands in my mouth. Why am I the one to bust my ass? Nigel, you always fall. <laughs> what, what texture of soil is that? <laughs> Does mud typically burn when it's... <laughs> it seems to be... Uh, Tingling, my arm is going numb. So we found a turtle. Getting a picture of the turtle. There is nature in nature, folks. It's not just plastic. Bye, turtle. So we got a quite a little assemblage here. Ring park. Okay, what do what do we got? Let's describe it. Got a Taco Bell cup. Yeah, several cups several cup from different um, fast food spots and like different restaurant-y things. A lot of uh, material culture related to smoking. <laughs> we got some cigarette butts. We got some Scar Swisher wrappers. Sweet uh, wrappers. Oh, that's part of a shoe. What's the shoe? Oh yeah, part of, a, part of a sole of a shoe. What other makeup brush? Makeup brush. Yep, a little makeup brush. Um, a couple of things that are like, well, maybe like this little flower thing could be like from a kid, like some kid-related things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, a ribbon from like a balloon. Mm -hmm. So any um, piece of glass. Yeah, piece of glass. Aluminum foil. So what kind of like activities then can we kind of figure out? What are people doing out here? Leisure. At a Leisure. Having a smoke, having Smoking a drink. Smoking a cigarette, having a kid's birthday party, yep. maybe. Birthday party, doing meth. <laughs> yeah. So very different assemblage from your backyard. Excellent haul. All right, onward to the next. Excellent haul. We'll throw out all this crap. What is it? We got the top of a bike. Oh, oh yeah, that's a good and one. And a puka shell. Oh. So we're going to give ourselves about five minutes or so because it looks like it's going to rain. And we're parked illegally. Yeah. I found $2. Even better. We're well, making money here. Yeah, let's go t tally our things up maybe on this bench. Blue moon. Okay, bottle cap. Ooh. Oh, yeah. oh excellent. 
Oh, we need to get all these because this is like, Bud yeah, Bud Light. This is cool. We're getting like some really good differences in our different spots. Ooh. What? Really? Oh, perfect. A plastic baby. King cake. Oh, let's put where? No, no, you can buy those things like. It's become a trend to buy them and put them in. Oh no, something Some bougie hipster shit. shit. We're gonna be epic music in the background. Ooh, look at all those glitters. We need to stop throwing glitter all over the goddamn place. Oh, Jesus. Lots of different things here. Lots of evidence of celebration. We got lots of metal confetti. Stop throwing your confetti, please. Lots of metal confetti in the shapes of butterflies and spirals and dots. Two uh, foam Nerf gun bullet things. Yeah. Two dollars in cash, cold hard <laughs> yeah. cash money. Lots of different bottle caps, yeah. most of which being crappy beer. Crappy beer. Some that might be actually good beer. This one's a true independent craft though. Yeah. Yeah, Lots of Bud Light, um, and only, then probably some craft brew ones too. Only a couple of cigarettes, so that's good. An American Eagle button, very yeah. on brand for oh, a college campus. <laughs> yeah. A plastic pizza table thing from your pizza box. Yeah. A pen that I'm actually going to probably keep because it looks like it's still really good. <laughs> You know, I, I doubt the confetti is very old. I'm sure that happened in this Well, past yeah, we're weekend. just past, yeah, I'm sure yeah. people are graduating. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the kind of activities we see are really related to people, um, maybe like passing through on their way to class, eating lots of snacks and candy bars, having a beer on campus to celebrate, <laughs> maybe uh, throwing their parents, throwing confetti at them after graduation. Anything Anything like the tabling candies. Yeah. yeah, so those are just handed yeah, and eaten. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And the mysterious uh, African import cowrie shell, which one uh, cowrie shell? <laughs> and screams, the plastic baby. Screams, Piece of jewelry. dude, bro. Yeah, I don't know. This has become the 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 visco trend. Oh. I've heard, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. This is part of that. Yeah. All right. right. So definitely saw some really great differences across the three uh, sites that we visited. Yeah. Your backyard. Hogtown Creek and um, the Plaza of the Americas here on campus. Yeah. So even yeah. our modern garbage that we're ruining the earth with can tell a story about the activities and yeah. the stuff that we're doing. So let's get in the proud tradition of uh, RAFG and garbologists yeah. everywhere. Yeah. We have completed this task. We have completed this task, photo documented it. Check out the Instagram for those photos. I'm gonna go ahead and pitch the plastic baby doll now. Bye, kids. Now, we have a special guest um, on the uh, the episode today, and um, that's going to be giving us sort of a, a scientific, journalistic view of the, the Anthropocene. 
(laughs) (laughs) We are lucky to have Becca Burton on the podcast today. She is the communications manager for the University of Florida Thompson Institute for Earth Systems, housed in the Florida Museum of Natural History right here in Gainesville. She also served for five years as communications coordinator for the Florida Sea Grant, a coastal research organization where she combined her love for marine biology and journalism to help share the stories of marine scientists from across the state. Becca's background is in science journalism. She received her bachelor's in journalism and a minor in marine biology from Florida International University and her master's in science communication from the University of Florida. She was also a freelance reporter for the Miami Herald for a couple of years. So let's jump into that interview right now. Thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Well, yeah, thank you guys for having me. So like you guys said, my name is Becca Burton, and right now I am the communications manager for the Thompson Earth Systems Institute at the University of Florida. Yeah, so in that role, I do, I tell a lot of um, science stories. I run a newsletter called Earth to Florida, which is Mm. kind of a monthly news bulletin of all of the environmental news in our state. And then I also am the co-founder of The Marjorie, which is a Florida-based environmental reporting nonprofit. And we have a mission to reclaim the hashtag Florida woman by showcasing the great environmental work that women in our state do. That's awesome. What drew you into studying science journalism? Okay, I don't know how far back you want to go, but all the way. I, have, I have a few things that kind of all led to it. So when I was a kid, I really wanted to be a poet. That was my lifelong dream, and I wrote a lot of poetry, a lot about the beach because I grew up in Pensacola near the beach. And then when I got older, I realized that I needed a real job. (laughs) So I really um, got drawn to journalism. I started my high school newspaper my junior year of high school. And then I went to college at Florida International University in Miami, where I was able to intern at the Miami Herald. At the same time, when I was doing my journalism degree, I decided to get a minor in marine biology because I knew I kind of wanted to write about environmental issues, Mm -hmm. um, I think partly because of where I grew up. Um, So I took some classes just enough to be able to speak the language and be a better interviewer Mm. of scientists. That's what I did in my undergrad. And once I started learning, I forget the name of the class, but I took a class where we learned about the nine tipping points of planet Earth. And it was really shocking to me since I hadn't really um, been in classes like that before. Mm. I feel like sometimes journalism classes and science classes are really separate. So once I was learning about those things, I thought I could do my part by telling the stories. So I kind of decided then to go in more into writing about the environment. But with my internship at the Miami Herald, I more often was tasked with doing was collecting police reports mm-hmm. from all yeah. <laughs> police stations and writing a lot of crime stories. Mm-hmm. Um, um, after I left there, I decided to get my master's in science communication so I could learn a little bit more about the field. Mm-hmm. The Miami Herald is one of the few newspapers in the state that has a dedicated environmental reporter or multiple. So. Yeah, you would hope they're kind of in the belly of the beast, aren't mm-hmm. they? Yeah. So when you were in school for journalism, did a lot of other people also do that, you know, who were studying journalism and they would also like take classes in other fields? Like, do you think that was really like helpful for you? And yeah, so they, uh, most journalism schools do this. They make you do an outside concentration of the thing you want to write about. So I think it is really helpful to 
take those classes outside of your area of expertise so that you can be a more informed reporter when you're interviewing people because it it does help even being able to read a peer-reviewed scientific study and know what it means you know at least know what the methods are and the discussion is Mm -hmm. um so that really helped yeah I think science communication and reporting on these issues, I mean, it's so important what you do. It's really great to see young people seem to be way more engaged with these issues nowadays. I mean, we just saw um, like Greta Thunberg, you know, she was Times Person of the Year. She's like going around the globe talking about climate change and all these sorts of things. How does that affect your reporting that it seems like younger generations are very engaged in these issues more so than older folks might be how does that affect what you do as a reporter in the stories that you write do you think yeah so i'm gonna shift back into my more public relations focused role at the museum um because you know you really have to think strategically with not only when you're writing your stories but where you're placing them yeah um and who your audience is so i think for the museum, we have we have lots of different outlets that are tailored toward different audiences. And mm-hmm. I think journalists are starting to do that more and more, too. They're coming up with more data visualizations for mm-hmm. people to see, or they're um, using different social media channels to get their messages across to a broader audience. Um, at the Marjorie, we've actually found that our target audience is older people. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. So we, um, although we're on other social platforms, we mainly stay on Facebook because we have a Facebook group that our readers who have been following us f- forever really like, and that's where they are. So I think the main thing is meeting people where they are. There's this paper that recently came out called uh, Push versus Pull Communication. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. No, so push communication is kind of the traditional m- method of both science communication and journalism, where you're just putting information out there with the belief that people are just going to absorb it and make informed decisions. Well, we know that that's not really how it works. Mm -hmm. Um, So you kind of have to have more two-way communication. As far as the younger audiences, I recently got on TikTok (laughs) to lurk. (laughs) Um, Just for the record, listeners, uh, Becca just describe to me what TikTok was. I know Nigel and I are both (laughs) not on TikTok. So I'll check it out though. Yeah, I'll describe I would describe it as Vine and Instagram mixed together on steroids Mm -hmm. because there's just so much you can do on there Um, and if you get an account just to lurk I will tell you it's a very interesting view (laughs) our culture Um, an anthropological experience right right? (laughs) Uh, but I can see it as a new platform uh, where you could really do some cool stuff with science communication and communicating even just basic things in science that people might have forgotten so I could see that as a tool in the future I have not used it yet but I'll report back when I do. (laughs) But I think there is still a place for for long-form reads, especially if you can tell engaging stories Mm -hmm. that people really uh, relate to and want to read because they see themselves in it, and that's Mm -hmm. what we try to do. Really, it all comes down to common ground, whether it be the platform where they find you or the content itself Mm -hmm. is what they can relate to and see themselves in. Yeah, Yeah. totally. This episode of the podcast Mm -hmm. is the second addition to our preservation episode and so the first uh, episode we talked about we talked with an archaeologist from um, FSU uh, about 
she found the oldest artifact in the state of Florida. And so Florida's really unique is for prehistoric preservation in some of the situations, especially paleo period stuff. And so on this episode, we kind of wanted to bring it full circle and talk about preservation now in reference to something that is literally all around me at the moment, including some of my most cherished things are made <laughs> out of plastic. I know you sent me to Miss Maya McGuire. She is the she started the Microplastics Awareness Project. Mm -hmm. She is brilliant. I had a chance to meet with her and chat with her and see her like display of plastics that she has recovered from the oh beach and it's pretty freaking staggering. I know probably that plastic isn't the biggest danger to our environment as we are here in Florida now. Do you think that people are starting to understand the importance of recycling, the important, and recycling isn't new, <laughs> but do you think they're starting to understand the dangers of plastic use? Just now, Alachua County, I think, banned plastic straws from all restaurants. So I just saw that today, that Satchels is saying that you have to bring your own straw because they're not <laughs> buying the paper ones. <laughs> but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would... I think people are starting to be more aware. Granted, I think we do live in a bubble here in, in Gainesville yeah. mm -hmm. um, because I think Gainesville is a pretty uh, environmentally focused city. But I think that it's def there's definitely been a lot more coverage of it today. I think there was a story that came out just today I saw, I only read the headline, so don't quote <laughs> me on it, but it said that we have grossly underestimated the amount of microplastics in our waters mm -hmm. by a lot. Yeah. Um, there's been a recent op-ed in the New York Times that came out that, I don't know if you guys saw it, they do video op-eds now, which is kind of cool. That is cool. But it was talking about how recycling itself, you know, most of the things that we put in our blue bins don't actually get recycled. Right. And that recycling, I think back in the early 90s, 2000s, was actually employed by the plastic companies no to kidding. to kind of get people to think like you can buy plastic as long as you recycle it. So I think now there's a shift in mindset that we don't really need to be thinking about recycling. We need to be purchasing with the thought that we can't recycle. Right. And I see that at least in Gainesville, I see people becoming more aware. Just this weekend, I bought a shampoo bar, so I'm trying to Wait, <laughs> trying to slowly yeah. <laughs> move away from it's plastic shampoo bottles. Yeah. <laughs> what is a shampoo bar? Is it's exactly like bar what you said? Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, but just yeah, like a shampoo thing. So, wow. and then also a never bamboo toothbrush because I never thought about how much plastic mm -hmm. weight toothbrushes are. So it's the things that we just use in our everyday life. Right. Um, but I don't think it's across the board, especially when most people get their news on social media, especially on Facebook. Yeah. People see very different news feeds yeah. depending on what your interests are. Um, so just last weekend I was in the Panhandle and I visited probably two to three seafood restaurants all right on the water and everything was served in styrofoam. Oh. Yeah. So I don't I don't know that it's something really across the board. I think in certain areas people are becoming more aware. No, that it's totally such a sense, it's such a like a vast issue. I mean when you really think about like go through your day and how many activities or things that you bought that brought like a new plastic or styrofoam thing into the world. I mean like as someone who's like a science communicator as like a journalist, how do we get across the vastness of this issue to people how do we start like kind of breaking down like the the barriers like you were saying you know we're all kind of like in these silos you know what are some like hooks that we can get people to understand like why that's an important issue do you think i think also a lot of pressure is put on the individuals yeah. when i think um 
science communication from a campaign perspective could be put more on business owners and and people like that to show them that it can be still economically sustainable to um, go the other direction Mm -hmm. so that once businesses start doing it, then the consumers don't really have a choice. You know, they're going to go with what's happening. But also, I I do think sometimes... It's a lot of peer pressure too, mm-hmm. just seeing your friends do it and yeah. then kind of a ripple effect <laughs> from there. As far as the plastics though, I think it is one tangible thing that, you know, people who do care about the environment and are, you know, inundated with all this climate change news every day and feel really o- overwhelmed, yeah. the plastic crisis is kind of a way to do something and feel like you're doing something too so i think it's great in that sense too even though we might not be solving it we're at least kind of taking a step in the right direction and feeling a little bit sane that we're doing something right (laughs) my this past weekend um my wife wanted to make shrinky dinks remember those? Mm-hmm. yes <laughs> so we looked it up and like you can go out and buy like a shrink a sheet of shrinky dink material which is number six plastic it's uh, polystyrene mm-hmm. and um i always think of the uh the radiohead song um which i won't sing but um <laughs> but then i we were like okay well what is what is number where are we going to find number six plastic in the wild um, so I went digging through the recycle bin. No number six plastic. It it's, comes in food, like used to be food containers. And so we literally found like a place where we could get takeout that came in a plastic bin. And it was number five plastic, which doesn't work. And so I, I don't know what my point is here. But <laughs> I, I think, never thought to do that. <laughs> I, think it's, um, I think it's that, you know, maybe some of these crazy materials like polystyrene, that maybe they're using polystyrene in- industrially on a massive scale that I'm not even aware of you know it's not just food containers it's something else so I think communicating that that it is it, like there's this whole industrial part of it um, makes the average person like throw up their hands and being like it, it if it's not about me then why am I worried about it yeah yeah you're right I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know the answer well, to, I don't know, to it like, to your, yeah. your point I told, I think like it's also I mean there's so much talk about recycling but we need to go to the other R's we need to like reduce the number of things that we buy we need to like reuse things and like prioritize those and then recycling I mean if you do have to get something that is plastic recycle if it can be recycled but we need to put more emphasis on those Mm -hmm. other options yeah and put those first yeah don't bring a new thing into the world Yeah, I can't imagine drinking out of a metal straw, though. That seems like that would be terrible. (laughs) You know, one of the reasons that I started trying to use less plastic was from interacting with Maya personally and her actually Mm -hmm. kind of showing me things and seeing the things in front of me. So I think um, sometimes just those face-to-face interactions with people who are actively trying to raise awareness about it is really helpful for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Maya had her table set up at an Ask a Scientist event at the Florida Museum of Natural History. It was last weekend. I just popped in there for a second and this was probably her standard table display, but it like knocked my socks off. You know, I mean, there was so much. And I think the shape of a lot of the things when we throw them out, like toothbrushes, for example, like they're getting whittled down to these little nubs. And so it's not really identifiable as a recognizable object all the time. And so there's just these mounds of just like little bits of colored plastic, you know, because now it's like whittled down to Mm -hmm. this. It's it's rudimentary, like pollutant, you know, (laughs) instead of I can't associate it with a function. This is now a pollutant. And it's kind of crazy. 
Maybe one day our beaches will be made out of tiny multicolored pieces of plastic. <laughs> I don't think that's instead of going to sand. Yeah, instead yeah. of a white sand beach, yeah. you'll go to like a multicolored plastic. <laughs> we don't want to nerdle beach or whatever those little plastic things. We are don't want to give any of these resort people any ideas. Oh they're going to be like, oh, that they're going to be great. <laughs> Bring in more tourists. <laughs> so when I worked at I worked at Florida Sea Grant was my previous oh. job. So I worked with Maya and creating the. Florida Microplastic Awareness Project. And we did a photo shoot where she brought in a lot of her plastics and we went to the studio and we put a bunch in the little martini glass. Oh, <laughs> wow. Um, so you could find those photos online. Yeah, yeah was, totally. It was interesting. As archaeologists, we like define cultures based on their material culture, like mm-hmm. the things they make. So you have like the Stone Age or the Bronze Age or the Iron Age. And um, today we're definitely in the in the plastic age. And like, what does that, that material culture say about the choices we as a society make about the way that we deal with each other that we deal you know with the earth yeah and we're in this episode we're going to be talking a lot about the anthropocene so Mm -hmm. it's like the proposed geological epoch that we're in now which is basically that humans have impacted the globe permanently and visible to geologists um and we all see these images of these floating garbage piles and i was picturing like the size of a swimming pool you know, but it's the size of like 50 football fields. You know, it's mm-hmm. crazy. The great, floating the great garbage. garbage patch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do know that it goes with the current. And I thought it was like the size of Texas, but yeah. might be like way bigger now. Yeah. Um, oh well, and then the deep ocean. So that study I was referring to earlier that I just saw today, it said the re and I don't know how how many they sampled, but 100 percent of the invertebrates that they sampled had mi- microplastics. Mm-hmm. So it's part of um, marine life now. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's hard to fathom, but I think what you said earlier, you made a good point, like of just going through your your day and thinking of all the yeah. things that you use and and throw away. Yeah. So if it's in our, f- it's if it's in the fish we eat, you know, Florida. We uh, I don't know what percentage of um, the Florida's gross domestic product is related to the fish, fishing industry, but I imagine it's pretty big. <laughs> um, so if we're eating this plastic, are are we drinking it too? Is it in the, the water? I, is it in the aquifer? Is there? I mean, they've had a few studies um, that have have found evidence in our drinking water mm-hmm. as well. So, Wonderful. yeah, drink up, kids. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think people people respond to different tones like yeah. a lot of people if you just kind of bombard them with alarming information they just tune it out right, right. um so i think it's finding a balance of giving people um the agency to do something right thank you so much becca for joining us on the podcast thank, thank you. you guys for having me and everyone go check out the marjorie oh, yeah. and see um learn more about the uh really great reporting that they do over there yeah the marjorie.org also you can follow the uf thompson earth systems institute and sign up for our earth to florida newsletter if you want to kind of stay in tune with all of the environmental goings on in our state fantastic absolutely you heard it here thanks thank you That was an awesome interview. Thanks, Becca, for coming on the podcast. So we're going to do one of our favorite segments, Material Culture in the News. And this is, um, when it comes to this subject matter, uh, especially dealing with microplastics and just general pollution, there's at least a thousand (laughs) 
news oh, articles God. Yeah, every yeah, day. Look at, yeah, Facebook any day yeah. of the week and you'll, well, at least I do. Maybe that's my uh, whatever uh, <laughs> algorithm they got going for me. Right, it's like, right. <laughs> And so any on any given day, there's just dozens of these articles related to this subject. But one thing that kind of pop, popped on my, my Facebook feed recently was from the New York Times um, that a whale had washed ashore with over 200 pounds of plastic in its stomach, a sperm whale on the Scottish shore. And I'll put the link in the show notes and all the information about that. But that is that's crazy. Um 200 pounds of plastic that probably killed it unless the whale died of old age and also had 200 pounds of plastic in its gullet like (laughs) right yeah i mean that's the thing you know not only are we altering the geology of the earth with these plastics and these things that create we create but we're also severely impacting the biome right like other animals that we share this this planet with as well and then you put this one piece um, from theguardian.com that he, this is <laughs> this is blow, blowing my mind as I'm reading it. But humans have made 8.3 billion tons of plastic since 1950. That is just staggering. And so it's really cool. It's got it's actually like a kind of little cartoon illustration mm-hmm. of this research. And looking at the research of Roland Geyer, who's an industrial ecologist, until recently, we didn't know how much plastic we'd made through history and how much of it was piling up on Earth. In 2017, Geyer, along with researchers Jenna R. Jambeck and Kara Lavender Law, conducted the first study to track the life cycle of all plastics produced from roughly the 1950s to today. Their study revealed the true extent of our addiction to synthetic polymers. Only about 30% of plastic ever produced is still in use. The rest has been disposed of in one of three ways. 79% has accumulated in landfills and the environment. Only 12% has been incinerated. The smallest amount, 9%, has been recycled. Over time, humans have discarded more than 6.3 billion metric tons of plastics. <laughs> and one way or another, we're still living with nearly all of it. Oh, my Lord. 9% of the plastics no longer in use were, dis- <laughs> right. were recycled. So as you're tiptoeing uh, the night before out to the garbage bin in your pajamas and making sure that you have, uh, you know, get, the, get that recycling in there, think about that. Think about that for a second. I'm not saying it's not worth it, but what I'm saying is that 9% of <laughs> all the plastic that has ever been invented has been recycled. <laughs> That's crazy. Right. We all have heard the, you know, the kind of phrase like reduce, reuse, recycle. Right. Um, and recycling is great, but we need to focus on those other two as well. We need to reduce the amount of plastics that we help bring into the world. So in in every way that we can, we need to try to like not choose things that have excess yeah. plastic packaging and that sort of a thing. And we need to um, be better about reusing things so that we don't create more of these things add to the add to the problem. And, you know, like Becca said in her interview um, that this is in our food systems now. 
um, and it's in our it's been counted in our drinking water. Um, and m- some of my colleagues at uh, the Crystal River Preserve State Park, um, who work in the Florida Aquatic Preserves, one of their jobs is to to count microplastics that they find within a particular um, a test area, a water testing area. Um, and we'll include some images of the microplastics in the Instagram, but it's crazy. And, you know, that can be really demoralizing to think about. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, there are, you know, there are things that we individually can do to reduce the amounts of plastics that we use and discard. And also we can all be, you know, advocates for um, policies that, that help to, you know, deal with these issues on like a, a bigger scale. And that's really the most yeah. important thing. Wow, what an informative episode, Becky. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it's kind of scary when you think about, and we didn't intend to scare anybody, but it's, uh, it, we don't ever want to be a doom and gloom. Um, you know, uh, typically archaeology isn't doom and gloom, right? Well, I guess because like it already happened. So right. <laughs> if it's like something that's really horrible that happened in the past, you know. Yeah, whatever. well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Genocide and systemic hatred that's evidence and violence. Yeah. That's pretty doom and gloom. But in regards to our future, yeah, <laughs> we're trashing, trashing the planet. But we all have the ability to make better choices and to advocate for better choices to make the earth a better place and we all and that's not just pie in the sky we truly can do that um, in our everyday lives and we all have that ability yeah you remember when we were talking way back in episode two uh and we were talking about ian hotter's book entangled right he was really discussing how as a society we get dug in with different types of material culture and how these objects can like constrain and affect the choices we make well, that's definitely the same thing with plastic and that we're kind of wrapped around it and it's become this integral part of like nearly, as we discussed earlier with Becca, it's like nearly every part of our lives are kind of intertwined with this material. So how do we break the tyranny of plastics? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but we can be. We just need to be mindful of um, of the choices we make and strive for a a new post-plastic age. I think we got a long way to go before that, but it all starts in our minds. We must act locally, think globally, as they say. I don't know. (laughs) Shampoo bars. Shampoo bars. Yeah. And also, if nothing else, just think about the archaeologists of the future. Don't leave (laughs) gross plastic behind for them to have to dig through okay yeah we don't need any more of that i don't know how medical waste gets disposed of (laughs) properly but don't dump it in a freaking field (laughs) please don't do that think about the future archaeologists (laughs) yeah how about a shampoo bar bar it's like a place you go to to use shampoo bars and you can have a drink so it's a shampoo bar bar I like it. We should make one. Gainesville would be a good time for that. It would be. Gainesville would be a good time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you, listeners. But not wrap it up in plastic. Not wrap it up in plastic. Wrap it up in biodegradable paper, um, <laughs> newspaper. For those of you that are interested, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and Spotify, as well as Instagram and Facebook. 
all the social medias. Please like us and share. We really love social media interaction. So uh, we will give you a shout out. We will read your comment, negative or positive, and you know, communicate with us. Those of you that are listening, we're serious. Like <laughs> it really means a ton, not only to us, but to iTunes. iTunes really likes that interaction as well, and we'll start kind of plugging our podcast um, a little bit more if we get more interaction. Thank you, FPAN West Central. Thank you, FPAN Central. And thank you to FPAN. If you would like more information on FPAN, please go to FPAN.us. Thank you to Have Gun Will Travel for our intro music. To find out more about Have Gun Will Travel, you can find them on Facebook at HGWT Music or on the web at HGWTmusic.com. Thank you so much to Becca Burton. Yes, that was really great getting to talk to her. That was really fantastic, really great information. And all the, I mean, the work that she and her colleagues are doing over at the Marjorie is um, super cool. So definitely go check that out. And we'll have the link in the... That's another thing. Read the show notes. Like all this information that we talk about, I painstakingly type up and put into the show notes. So there's tons of information in the show notes if you would like to, um, to kind of delve deeper into any of the subjects that we're talking about. If you'd like us to cover anything special, let us know. And you can do that through any social media, but you can holler at us, you know, through our email as well. We say um, special, amazing thanks to the University of South Florida. Oh, yeah. uh, Where we get our paychecks from. Yes. Um. (laughs) Thank you, USF, for all the support. Oh, any teaser for our next episode? What do 10,000 wasp stings and... Uh, really cool body art having come. <laughs> Our upcoming episode is going to be very personal to Becky and I. I'm looking forward to it. But it, I'm gonna we're going to keep it kind of under wraps. Unless you listen to the first episode from s- season two, we kind of delved into what future episodes will go into. But uh, it's going to be really yeah. cool. It's going to leave a mark. It's going to leave a mark. <laughs> a permanent. Non-removable yeah, mark. Non-removable mark. And, but no pain, no gain, right? It's so true. It's so no true. pain, no gain. So stay tuned, materialists. And we will be back with you and catch you on the flippity flip. Bye. CBS News. What are you going to do now? I was going to go upstairs for a minute. Oh, I meant with your future. Your life. Well, that's a little hard to say. Ben. Excuse me. Mr. McGuire. Ben. Mr. McGuire. Come with me for a minute. I want to talk to you. Excuse us, Joanne. Of course. Thank you. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir, you. Plastics. Exactly how do you mean? There's a great future in plastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. I've said, that's a deal. The green plastic watering can For a fake Chinese rubber plant And a fake plastic girl 